Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. And oh my God. we have yeah. a spicy episode for y'all today. Wow, yes. Asians like it spicy. Is that is that too general? Some Asians don't like spicy. It's okay if you're an Asian who doesn't <laughs> like spicy. You live your truth. <laughs> no, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's not okay. It's I, not okay. Am I allowed Asian to talk not right like now? Because I know. Okay. Yeah. Brian Park. experience is invalid. <laughs> Brian Park, who famously didn't eat kimchi until he was a full-blown adult, <laughs> is saying it's not okay if you don't like spicy. A little bit of a hypocrite. But <laughs> let's introduce our guest because you probably heard her right now. Let's just do, let's just do it, Brian. Let's get it. This is let's such just a, let's just jump right into it. All right, let's do it. Uh, listeners, our guest this week is a professional dominatrix. Give your ears to An Lee. Woo! Woo! Hi, I'm An Lee. Thanks for joining us. Listeners, a peek behind the curtain. Before we started recording, we had to, we had to figure, I had to nail down the title, professional dominatrix, because apparently whatever I was saying before was very cringe. I was... I learned that it's actually called pro dom. I wanted to go <laughs> professional dom, pro dominatrix. Yeah. It yeah. was all cringe. It yeah. was all cringe. Brian was <laughs> embarrassing me. I was like, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Brian was hello, fellow kids. Like he was doing that yeah. game. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But Anli, thanks for joining us on the podcast. And you know, I, I'm sure our listeners want to learn all about you, but. Before we ask how you're feeling. Brian, Brian, how are you feeling? I'm going first this week. You always make um, me go first. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, I'm feeling uh, very stressed Uh-oh. ahead of our live show next week. Oh, God. Uh, I always get stressed before the live show because mm-hmm. I think regardless of anything, if mm-hmm. there's a deadline, this has always been a thing for me, even in mm-hmm. school. I could have studied a million hours. I'm super prepared, but I'm going to be stressed regardless. I'm so jealous of people who are like, yeah, I prepared. I'm going to kill it tomorrow and then get a good night's sleep. That that doesn't happen to me. So I've been very stressed. And as a side effect of that, I my IBS has flared up again. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> that's, no. That's, it's not good. It's not good. It's not, not good. the IBS. But, yeah, <laughs> it's not as bad as it was uh, in, in the fourth quarter of 2021, where <laughs> I took quarter. all of I, I took us all on that journey. Where there there was a if you notice in the fourth quarter of Feeling Asian podcast, there was a lot of uh, discussion surrounding uh, fecal matter that came but, out of Brian's butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think I'm more equipped to handle it this go around, and I don't think it's going to be as destabilizing or debilitating to my life. So, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Short and that, that sweet. That sounds kind That's of how... terrifying. The the destabilization element of it. That sounds terrifying. Oh I, gosh, yeah. I know. Well, but I think what helps is that I know exactly what it is, and I yeah, can put a true. name to it, and I know that it's not permanent, but. It's in line. I'm yeah. stressed, therefore IBS flare up. We're chilling. We're here. <laughs> Nevertheless, she persisted. We're doing well. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of yeah. It's a lot of pressure. I mean, I know that poo is funny, and I like I'm fighting the urge to laugh about it. But also, it's like pooing is like a big part of your body's like natural function, and if it's not oh. functioning properly, 
it's debilitating, you know, and I and I do feel for people I'm sure that are out there listening that also have IBS and they probably know exactly how you're feeling where you're like, I can't go out because I have to like plan all the bathrooms on the way, which is something you talked about a while ago. Yeah. Like that's fucking. Yeah. <laughs> that is debilitating. You know, thank you for not laughing and thank you for not making me feel ashamed or embarrassed. Um, I mean, I did laugh yeah. a little bit in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's warranted. It's absolutely warranted. Um, but yeah, enough about uh, this poo talk. Young, how are you feeling? Poo talk. Well, I was I feel kind of bad because I was like, I am one of those people that never study in school. I mean, I wasn't even prepared. I would just never prepared, period. But I would always feel super like chill about everything. Like I would like a test would be coming up, would not prepare a single fucking second, just fucking waltz in. And I would always do pretty well. Like that was like my entire life. But then I, I think it's also because like the second that anything was hard, I would just give up and like never try anyway. So like I never. Yeah. It's like. It's like that was like my response to anxiety was just to like, ugh, like never do that because that feels bad. But I, I never get nervous or anxious about things that I think I'm not going to use the word never, but I typically don't get nervous or anxious about things that other people do that make sense. Like, oh, I have a big show. Like, I never get nervous about the live shows. Like, I'm like excited to do it, but I don't feel mm -hmm. like anxious for that i would i don't feel anxious about those things but yeah but then i'm also thinking maybe i do and then i'm dissociating do you know what i mean because mm. then like because then this happens to me a lot like i'll go to like a big like a show like a live show um and then afterward i'll feel fucking crazy you know what i mean <laughs> like then I'm like, ah. and I think that's where all my anxiety, I, I almost feel like now that it's safe, my body is like, okay, I'm going to let you feel these feelings now or something. like now that it's over. Do you know what I mean? So I also just think that's a high you get from performing because it is like yeah, a maybe. crazy dopamine rush to perform yeah. in front of a live audience. I know I have trouble sleeping at night after performances because yeah. like, yeah, similar to you, like my body's all tingly. Um, yeah, I don't but know. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I just don't feel like nervous about stuff. Sometimes I feel nervous about stand up, but I I don't even know mm. that that that's a I I don't even think I'm like it affects me that hard. But I really yeah. think not to be negative on myself, I really think that it's like a dissociating thing. I don't think it's like mm. like I'm just strong. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'm pushing it to another place or something. I don't want you to feel bad, but just know that my intestines are are dying for our art. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I guess what am I feeling? I'm feeling very uh, good. I feel like I'm getting a lot of stuff done every day, and I feel very um, organized. And I am feeling very excited about our podcast. Obviously, on Lee's mm -hmm. here, and I'm really excited about this episode because we, you know, discussed what we were going to get to on the episode, and that was that discussion really excited me, or you know the anticipating yeah, yeah. that and the last few episodes that we've had on the podcast like every single guest i thought was like just so amazing and it i've i've like had a i think there was a little period of time in the end of last year where i was feeling a little overwhelmed by the podcast and i i wasn't like really tapping in and i feel like very reinvigorated with it so that's how i'm feeling 
How about you, Anli? How are you feeling? Um, well, first off, I am feeling pretty good about the poop talk because I feel like whenever anyone talks about poop, it just makes me feel at home, you know, yes. because I think I think it's an Asian thing or maybe it's like a non-white thing where you just like extensively talk about the details of your your fecal routine. I actually, <laughs> one of my um, a good set of friends, we have a group called the Food Poopers and we talk about food and our yes. poop. And one of them oh. is actually here right now, the one who got oh, me on this poopers. podcast. Food poopers are <laughs> oh <my> here. <laughs> um, Wait, yeah, I'm spiraling. So. Sorry to interrupt. Am I pronouncing your name right? Yes. I mean, it's oh, okay. okay. I'm so, sorry. I was spiraling. I was like spiraling. Ultimately, it's like a fake yeah. Asian name that isn't actually pronounced correctly oh, okay. in Chinese. And I was named it by someone else who was not a Mandarin speaker. So it's like, yeah, it's right. I don't know. Oh, I have, okay. I have, Sorry. I have conflicted feelings about performance names that sound Asian, but um, mm. yeah, yes, it's right. So, okay. Sorry to interrupt you. You were saying the food poopers are here. Exciting. Yeah, one of them is here. One of them. Rebecca, the one who <laughs> got me uh, forcibly, like Tiger mommed me onto this podcast, which I'm very stoked on because. Um, <laughs> I just it's cool. your life has been ruined ever since. <laughs> she is um the uh loving maternal presence I never had. And uh yeah, I'm um pretty nervous right now because I spent a lot of hours listening to you guys while I'm like taking dog walks. So I'm feeling uh Rebecca and I were just talking about this, how like we feel like we know you guys, but obviously I don't fucking know you guys. Like I just listen to your guys' voice like online but it feels like i know you guys and so it's um pretty cool so i'm, I'm like a little, a little anxious about that and uh i'm kind of stressed out because i'm flying to vegas after this i'm like oh wow i'm like i'm gonna get covid i just mm. how could i not get covid uh. in vegas how could i not get covid in vegas i don't know i feel like i'm gonna get covid so i'm, I'm not looking forward to that but it's a work thing so you're living brian's dream <laughs> <laughs> Getting flown to Vegas. Yeah, well, I think we should just jump right into our conversation, Youngmi. Yeah, How do you feel about yeah, that? I, I agree. I think that we have so many things to talk about, and I'm just like foaming at the mouth. Is that, I don't know, what kind of, <laughs> 1907, that's a popular phrase from 1932. I'm foaming at the mouth to start this conversation. <laughs> um, so this is what we want to know about you, Anli. I'm speaking from personal experience, but also, uh, you know, from messages we were received from our listeners. And that is uh, that first exploration into, quote unquote, taboo sexual practices can feel a bit daunting or even at times embarrassing. Um, you know, let's say like role play, for instance, like there's, there's that feeling of that self-awareness that you're like pretending, you know, and you're not out of your body and it you just feel like oh i'm so awkward like this is so weird how do you overcome that pretend feeling or just in general like become comfortable with this exploration so i think the way i've viewed a lot of my femdom practice for me personally is it's almost like cbt like psych psychology cbt not bdsm cbt psychology cbt meaning cognitive behavioral therapy which mm -hmm. is like things it's if you're raised in, okay, so for example, for me, like raised in a dysfunctional family where you have like bad self-esteem growing up or like you have trouble like trusting people or, or acting in a certain way, 
the only way you can really get past it is just by practicing things. And things always feel weird when you start, like swimming is going to feel weird when you start, like dancing is going to feel weird if you've never danced in your entire life. And it's something that you just kind of have to push through. Um, I think things, no matter what, are always going to feel very awkward when you start. Like very few times will there be a moment in your life where you'd be like trying something completely new and being like, oh, all of this like is fitting together perfectly. Like those right. moments are rare and special and they do happen and they're far and few in between, in my opinion. Um, okay. So for example, I really hated my feet growing up. I have super, mm-hmm. super wide feet. It's really hard for me to wear shoes. My mom always made fun of me and my feet mm. because they were so fucking wide that I just like hated them. But I had this class, femdom class, when I started my very first year. And the teacher at the time, she was like, okay, just say something nice about your feet, you know? And I was mm-hmm. like, I, I didn't have anything nice to say about them. And I was like, well, I, they support my whole body, you know? And mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's like saying something nice about my feet felt pretty weird because I was like, look at these fat fucking troll feet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I said it and I said it enough times where now I'm just like, oh, yeah, they support my whole body. And that's that's cool. You know, you just kind of have to say things enough times. You have to just try it out and keep on trying it out and keep on trying it out. And if you really want it, then at some point it's going to feel natural. Um, mm. Right. But I mean, I think we all feel awkward whenever we're doing something new, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it's just trusting that things will feel less awkward going on in the same way that like it wasn't natural for me to walk into a room and be like, I'm a fucking goddess. But mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I've done it thousands of times now. Um, mm-hmm. And right. now I can do it. Do I understand that there's like an element of role play in it? And there like perhaps an element of camp and cheesiness to it? Yeah, but mm. you can do it to the point where you're not grossed out by yourself, you know? Mm. Yeah. So when, yeah. You, so like when you first started taking classes or... Um, like exploring your interest in femdom, it felt awkward for you, but then you still kept going because you knew it like satiated a part of your brain that you were like, oh, this is still interesting. I like yeah. this. Yeah, like, where absolutely. Where did that even... Okay. I think, well, okay, so I was the type of person, and I've heard this from a lot of sex workers, where like I was just really interested in sexuality at a young mm. age. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that meant I was like horny or just interested in it because I honestly think everyone's fucking horny from junior high to high school. You know, like I think the so. people who aren't who aren't horny are far and few in between. But I had mm-hmm. a lot of questions that I wanted to ask about it, and I was very open about asking about it. And I was like down to look at weird stuff, and it wasn't like I was constantly like fapping away to it. But it was more like, oh, look at this goatsy set. Look at how big his butthole could get. Is that crazy? That's crazy, right? And then. <laughs> And so, like, a lot of people knew me as the person who was very experimental in sex, even though I didn't necessarily have much sex at a young age. Um, It's always been something that I knew I wanted to try, not necessarily BDSM, well, maybe BDSM fetish. I knew I wanted Mm -hmm. to explore fetish. Like, when I was, I want to say 12 or 13, um, I saw this this porn like a pay-per-view porn at my friend's place we used her dad's mm-hmm. account and it was called like busty cops two i wanted I, like busty two or cops three two. i think it's i think it's busty cops two okay. and it's nice. about I love a it, sequel. Was, it was about the these cops that break into a porn mansion because crimes are happening so of course they have to pretend to be porn stars yeah yeah <laughs> and i think the thing that like 
I watched it and like afterwards I, I knew I wanted to make porn because there's this one scene and it was the, the most absurd scene, but they are like, these two porn cops are coming back after a hard day of like fucking and sucking in the mansion. And like they're back at the fucking police station taking a shower and there's a carton of eggs in the shower. They just start mm-hmm. like cracking the eggs in between their big busty boobs. Wow. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing ever. I want to make this stuff. And, uh, <laughs> It was just, wow. it was stuff like that where I was like, the, the more kind of just, uh, absurd it was, the more I yeah. wanted to do it. And so I've always felt mm. that way about fetish stuff. Not necessarily yeah. that like all of it made me super horny, but uh-huh. that it was just really interesting to me and I wanted to explore that. And so yeah. I just kept on doing it. So you knew you liked it. You knew you had an interest in it and you wanted to pursue it. So that was what like fueled you past the like maybe the first few times where it felt awkward and humiliating. You know, this really this really like sounds like every almost everything that people pursue, you know, even in like comedy. It's like I I think a lot of people don't hear that message a lot because when people see people, you know, like you, like a professional dominatrix, I don't, I don't know the term. Sorry. I forgot already. It's a pro dom. Pro dom. Pro dom. So like, like when they see you, they're like, oh, they're, that's a natural, like, she was just like that day one. Or, you know, when they see yeah. a stand-up comedian, they're like, oh, they, they sound like they're just talking to a friend and they don't realize that it's like, no, I really wanted to do this. So I stuck to it when I fucking yeah. sucked for a yeah, lot. For That's sure. me, not you, me personally. Like I sucked for so long and I just kept doing it because I really wanted to do it. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand that there's that shitty sucky period, you know, that yeah. we all have to push through if you really want to do it. So I think that was like such a great way to explain it. I think that is such a great observation, young me. I also, I just want to add to that. I feel that sex is really hard to come back from when you feel that like failure or that rejection because mm. it's inherently so vulnerable, you know? Like yeah, you're, yeah. You're, mm-hmm. you're fucking naked with another person and like you're, you're fully exposed. And I feel like failures are like that rejection because with stand-up or any job, like, yeah, you'll bounce back. But with sex, like, I'm speaking from my, like, personally here. I'm like, I yeah. don't, oh, uh, it's the worst. I can't, mm. like, it, t- it takes mm. so much harder. It's so much harder for me to just, like, let go if, like, awkward encounters happen or if there is any form of, like, failure so, or rejection that's that occurs in the bedroom. Oh, that's I forgot, so funny Brian. To me. Bri- this is Brian's big, he has a very big issue with this. <laughs> I just realized, like, obviously I know, but, yeah, Brian <laughs> is very affected by this. No, I mean, sorry, Brian, if you're. Just I me. Mean, the, <laughs> the entire world. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. think that's 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 pretty funny and ironic for me because for me, stand-up is like one of the most horrifying things in the world. And uh, yeah. um, one of my friends asked me if I wanted to take a stand-up class with her at one point. And I was, I, my gut response was just like, no, fuck no. And then I was like, I should examine that. But it's funny to me that like your big fear is uh, sexual stuff. And I'm like, ah, you fuck enough people. It doesn't really matter. It's just a numbers game. You know, you're bound to fail multiple times. But stand up, it's like you're in front of hundreds of people. Just it's just like you're, you fail a hundred <laughs> times faster. Is how I feel, how I see it. But I guess on the other end of things, like in exploring your fetishes, have there been any fetishes where maybe you didn't like? But then oh, yeah. you stuck mm. you stuck with it and then you grew to like it or mm. I think well so or I is think that rare? sexual stuff is I'm okay so I'm less likely to like really push 
like, okay, so there's a, there's a fine line between, um, pushing something because you know, it's something you want and pushing something, even though you don't want it, you know, there's mm, like, yeah. I don't really know where the line is between that. It's kind of yeah. just a gut feeling, but mm-hmm. I think sexual stuff can be so triggering for a lot of people that sometimes mm. it don't push things that you don't want. Like if, of course, if something makes you kind of feel queasy inside and in not a good way, then, um, don't do it. So for example, there's, there's certain fetishes that I just like, I'm not super fond of. I have friends who like it, are great at it, but I would never advertise it on my end. Mm-hmm. Stuff like ABDL, which is adult baby diaper lover. Um, not my thing. Does some mm-hmm. weird stuff to me mentally where I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, like I have trouble parsing the fantasy from the reality of this. And it like makes me a little queasy. But at the same time, like I also shit on people. So my, my spectrum of things yeah. that are okay are, are very like personal to me i don't like food play but i i don't mind feeding other people my shit you know it's like it's it's weird it's weird yeah yeah it's like it's very personal i could see i could see that that like makes a lot of sense um and like er, like you said everyone has like their own life experiences and their own triggers that make them happy and bad do you so like what you said about the fetishes that you don't like because you do this as a profession are there times that you do do it for or with your clients even though you dislike it or yeah i think so i mean i think that's just kind of capitalism in general right yeah. like mm-hmm. not everything on the one hand i'm super lucky to be doing something that i love on the other hand mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that everything i do is something that i love you know um, right right mm-hmm. uh i don't do things that like completely ick me out like i'm not really trying to like fuck people in a conventional sort of way and become an escort <laughs> Mm-hmm. although i suppose right. like there is a price for that and someone pay me enough money i'd be like yeah sure i'll do it um but <laughs> uh yeah i there's always things that i do that i'm like mm, like you know you always have annoying clients or people who you, you don't really like as people you know and you still do the session but um you just kind of try to make it work it's a service industry ultimately right, right? Mm. um but I am lucky enough where I get to turn down a lot of people that I don't like and I don't think are yeah. compatible for me. What if mm. what if their kink was like you telling them that you didn't like them and then listing your reasons why? <laughs> oh, I totally that done that be before. so satisfying. It's pretty good. Oh. I, so the funny thing is the people who want me to do that are oftentimes people that I like. And then it becomes right. kind that of weird. Sense to me yeah um and i'm like oh but you're so sweet and you want me to like say all these horrible things about you so now i'm just gonna i don't know talk about like the color of your hair or something you know something stupid um mm. i i have had a couple of clients do that where it felt really warranted but pretty much my favorite time to do something like that is if someone just really pisses me off and i just like lay it into them but you're not supposed to do that you're not supposed to be mean to people when you're really coming from a bad place so I don't advocate that even though I've done it. Oh, uh, yeah. My, that sounds um, like my fantasy. <laughs> being mean to somebody. <laughs> no sex. Just, <laughs> just I mean, you could, mean. you could probably find that. You're visible enough where I'm sure if you just looked in your DMs, you probably could find some like white dude being like, be mean to me, young me. Right? Be mean. Should I start sure. doing that? I'm like, I'm sure you could. Okay. I'm I think you po- could too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I do want to, you, you mentioned earlier how your relationship to BDSM is somewhat like cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. in a way, and it's very psychological. And I, I want to revisit that because, well, my therapist once like 
had this theory and she said that uh she felt that a lot of people were like interested in bdsm also as a means to like get out of their own head mm-hmm. sexually because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's like this tertiary you're playing a role you're playing a part and like it helps for some people it alleviates anxiety you know you're a professional and you have a lot of experience uh, in this realm do you think there's truth to that and oh, is yeah. that like are as are all of these dynamics inherently psychological mm. um so the answer to the first question would be yes and the answer to the second question would be no um so okay. When you talk about the first question, so for example, I have a lot of autistic clients and part mm. of the reason why they like BDSM is because there's a structure that is like very, very clear for them that they can abide mm. by specifically like high protocol mm. kind of settings where they know, right. like, I just listen to everything that you do. And these are the things that will happen if I don't. And it's not like real life where like there are all these emotional undertones you have to read in between the lines. Sometimes people say mm. something, but they mean another. So um, I think it de- like there is a very large population of submissive clients who are in the spectrum and probably dominant clients who are in the spectrum, but I, I just don't, I don't cater to those Interact clients. With them, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and I think there's that stereotype of like, you know, alpha male C-level boss, fucking Fortune 500 company likes to get whipped in the basement, you know? Um, and yeah. that, that stereotype is true. Um, it's not <laughs> all of my clients. I those guys too. Can I, mean, I come <laughs> and join you? Do they, do, do they need help? I would love that. Kick those guys in the balls, right? Kicking them in the balls is great. I would I would highly recommend don't that if given okay. the opportunity. Sorry to interrupt you, but don't you think that Jeff Bezos, you know, you know he gets kicked in the balls by a dominatrix I like, on the red. No, I wish. Look at him. I feel like, I feel, I, yeah, yeah. I right? feel like he has small dick energy. Just based on how quickly he built muscle over the course of a of, of period of time. I love these theories. These are like I have n- I've never heard Whoa. of that. So <laughs> he rapid built muscle gains fast. Is small dick energy. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would say that at the very least, it's small testicle energy, right? Didn't because say. like rapid yeah, gains yeah. is like usually steroid use. Oh, I don't know. Steroids. I don't know. That's oh you yeah yeah that's like scientifically true. I, yeah. I like that. Yeah yeah. Although I oh, like maybe I don't know how rapid that gain is. I've just seen the before and after of Jeff Bezos where he's like twerpy and then swollen he got a bbl for sure he got some some, (laughs) you know us we know wait wait sorry what were you saying i I interrupted you i just had to tell you my jeff bezos theory (laughs) um oh i was talking about uh yeah c-level execs who want to get like whipped in a basement and yeah Yeah. those those stereotypes are true um i would say Mm. definitely a lot of my clients cater to that and then i also have like a lot of clients who are just submissive because like or I'm, I'm speaking more about my cis male clients. They're just submissive people in general. You know, they're not mm. necessarily mm. like alpha types. They are just submissive. But society as at large currently doesn't really like beta males, you know, as mm-hmm. beta males. So yeah. for me, I'm an outlet for them to be seen and just understood. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely a fantasy component component of bdsm that makes it very escapist and there's also a lot of like physiological things that can attribute to that so Mm. for example when you guys were talking about like feeling buzzy after a show you know i would Mm -hmm. say that um in bdsm there is like subspace and top high um and they're pretty much akin to like a runner's high which Mm -hmm. is what i would assume what you guys are probably feeling after a show like buzzy and floaty and kind of like weird to string together words because you're just like running on an endorphin rush or something um right that's exactly it 
Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people who are into BDSM do seek out that sensation and that mm. sensation in and of itself can be pretty escapist or just like hedonistic, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. And um, and then the psycho the- and then the you said no when when Brian asked if you thought that it was all like psychological or something. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. No, yeah. because like there are some people who just purely have straight fetishes like they. Mm. Maybe they just like want to be faced out on and like ass smothered or they just want to be kicked in the balls repeatedly over and over and over again, or they want to be trampled on. You know, there are, there are people whose fetishes are like purely physical. So see, that surprises me because my, my assumption, just like not knowing that much about it was that I was always like, oh, that's like, that has to lead like something from their childhood. You know, like Mm -hmm. I always like thought that it was like psychological. So that's very interesting to hear. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the triggers can happen starting from their childhood in that sense. They are psychological, but like someone who just like really loves to see women in rubber, you know, I wouldn't say that's Mm. necessarily a psychological thing. They're just like, oh, that ass looks real shiny right now, you know? (laughs) So Yeah, that um, makes a lot of sense. Can I also say just one thing really quickly about what you said about autism? And I I just want to be careful. I don't want to come off as ableist or anything, but I personally because I have a lot of friends that are autistic and a lot of them are into BDSM and, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll hear them discussing it and they, and it, for me, I was like sort of picking up like, Oh, I just like noticed on my own, like, Oh, you know, I I have friends who are autistic and they seem to Mm -hmm. like more of them seem to really engage with this. I thought that for them, maybe it was like helpful to have these sort of like rules and uh, ways that you're supposed to do things correctly and incorrectly that, uh, might you know for somebody that's on the spectrum that might be a little overwhelming you know because sex is so mm-hmm. like people who are not doing bdsm and just having sex you know um it is very like it's like jazz you know like our friend yeah mike called it it's just like you, you just gotta do whatever feels like you gotta do and, and so <laughs> I, I i was like formulating this thought on my own like oh i, th- I think maybe it, it is helpful for a lot of people um, in a way to have this sort of this type of sexuality do you yeah so what do you think about the fact that you have noticed that there are a lot of people like do you think that what I said is like accurate or do you feel yeah. similar or yeah, uh, yeah I, I I do feel similarly I would actually be super interested if there were if someone could conduct an informal study on like autism and BDSM because mm. um I find at least amongst my clients, I have like a lot more autistic clients in that cross section than I do in like the standard cross section of my friends or people I know in the world. Mm. Um, it, it just seems to be like a higher occurrence to me. And this is obviously just purely speculative because I'm only seeing yeah. it from my perspective. And I've talked to a, a couple of other of my friends about it. And I would say most of the prodoms I know would say that they see like a decent number of people who are autistic. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I do think there is something to be said for just the structure that BDSM can provide. Um, And it doesn't require parsing out kind of like uh, just social like in-betweens. Like, do they really mean to do that when they said this and so on and so Mm. forth? You know, um, it's, it's more just like, I told you to kneel right there, put, put your hands and knees on all fours. Don't move. And if you move, this is going to happen, you know? So it's very, it's very straightforward cause and effect for a lot of them. You know, I think for anyone in the world, they, they can easily see that, 
if you have this if you have this thing that's kind of scary to a lot of people and confusing and you know it is very like improvisational it, it is i can see how for anyone it would be very helpful and a little um comforting for you to have like this set of rules and things that you can follow is that's what yeah. i would say yeah. um i think it but also like the things that I do, I would not say are relegated only to sex. Like I have mm. a lot of clients who are interactions stem outside of like outside of that into like a more yeah. lifestyle service scenario where they want, they genuinely like want to help me. They want to drive me around. They want to clean things for me. They want right. to just be of service. And so I think having that dynamic and an ongoing situation like makes yeah. it a, a little bit more clear what the what the relationship is. Whereas when, when you're like just partners or something, you're like, okay. But like most, I think most vanilla partners don't really compartmentalize like what our roles are in the relationship. Yeah. And I think in an ideal situation, all these things should be laid out. Like here are the roles and here are the responsibilities. So nobody feels resentment mm. for these things, but yeah. in a BDSM relationship, you have to be a lot more clarified in like what things are and aren't okay. Like consent is negotiated exhaustively and renegotiated so that it's not really in a good BDSM relationship, you are not left unknowing like what your job is and what your expectations are for your role. You know, it's like a, it's mm. like a well clarified job, except you apply it to an, an emotional setting. Right. Right. That makes yeah, so that much makes, sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and uh, you know, sex work, at large has gotten more coverage in popular media. Um, I guess like oftentimes by proxy of OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, it feels it's almost glamorized even because, you know, mm. the, you, you read these articles about how much money these OnlyFans content creators are making. And I guess from your experience, uh, what are some aspects of sex work that you feel are uh, often overlooked? So... The, my issue with like the glamorization of OnlyFans and all this stuff is that oftentimes they don't go over the fact that being a sex worker, at least in the U.S., like automatically disenfranchises you from a lot of things. Um, yeah. Like the money, the money can be really good. Yes. Um, but the money is good because the work in it itself comes with a lot of societal and physical dangers, depending on like what you're doing. Um, yeah. Mm. I think like I see a lot of, and I think this happens from what I understand from sex workers who have been around for a long time. Anytime there is a um, a major financial upset, a bunch of whole new sex workers come into the scene because like they lost their mm. jobs. So like with the pandemic, there's been a huge rise of sex workers, like online sex workers, um, which is great because I'm happy that people can make money and mm -hmm. find ways to support themselves without like becoming a frontline worker and endangering their family or something like that. Um, on the other hand, I think that oftentimes people go into it because they're like, oh, this person said they make 3000 bucks an hour doing so-and-so and like, I could do that mm -hmm. too. And it's like, well, no, one, that person probably spent a lot of years getting to that point. And if mm -hmm. they didn't spend mm -hmm. a lot of years, it was more than likely a fluke. And two, like, this is a, this is a real job like any others. You will have to act like a business. You're going to have to mm. go through shitty things like any business and deal with clients you don't like. Mm -hmm. mm. And three, and I think most importantly, is that being a sex worker in the U in the US at least puts you at risk for like getting arrested, getting your bank mm -hmm. shut down, getting um 
getting your payment apps shut down, uh, getting your social media shut down, not being able to use Airbnb, like Mm -hmm. um, just being associated or affiliated with sex workers can get multiple payment apps shut down. I've had so many friends on their vanilla Airbnb accounts have their Airbnb accounts shut down because they they think it was associated with like the same IP that they posted on sex work Mm -hmm. advertising sites. Mm -hmm. I see. So um, a lot of this stuff can be, it, it can make your life a lot more difficult is what I'm saying. Um, And a lot of people don't really realize it outside of like, we all know that, you know, if you become a sex worker and your family finds out that may or may not work out, um, that's probably the most obvious social thing that people know, but there's a lot of legal ramifications that come with it that can make Mm. your life a lot more difficult. With the whole conversation of sex work, like now entering the cultural zeitgeist and, you know, only fans, it's just like any other startup. People know about it. People talk mm-hmm. about it. Would you still say that the net outcome has been like positive, perhaps? You know, I, I'm surprising my, myself here when I say this, but I think there has been a net positive in mm-hmm. that sex. When I first started doing sex work eight years ago, um, sex work decriminalization was not a thing that any politician said. It just Nobody talked about it. It wasn't on anybody's docket at all. Mm-hmm. Like we were too busy focusing on other bigger things. And, you know, with good reason, like fucking loads of fucking black people are still getting arrested and all this stuff. There's like, quote unquote, bigger mm-hmm. plot problems at play. So I totally mm-hmm. fucking get it. Um, uh, at the same time, like uh, I just did not think decriminalization would ever become a thing in my lifetime. And in this mm. past election, I've heard multiple politicians talk about sex work decriminalization. Um it's interesting because I feel like even though we are take we in the past couple of years have taken a step back and a step forward, we've mm-hmm. taken a step back in regards to like Visa and MasterCard have been staunchly against sex work and have been shutting down loads of accounts on all these adult sites and making it really hard for us to earn money. But at the same time, people have been talking about sex work decriminalization. So I don't I don't really know. And then there's also this whole thing, this whole dialogue about like sex trafficking that it's always mm-hmm. like some fucking dumb internet bitches want to talk about. It. It's like, do you know anyone who's been trafficked? Because it's not some fucking white van who picks you up off the street and like all of a sudden mm-hmm. turns you into like a fucking like working out of a cheap motel. It's always, it's almost always like someone, you know, like a fucking your father, your brother, your boyfriend. Yep. And so there's all these like super hyperinflated sex trafficking st- stats that are just literally not true. They're not based on any real studies mm. and they've been yeah. completely falsified. And um, I'll go on fucking Twitter and like, I try to avoid getting to arguments with people on this anymore, but it's like, they're like, yeah, well, like, you know, like, yeah, sure. You, you, you're you like a sex worker, but there's loads of people getting trafficked. And it's like, yes, there are. But like, where are you getting your numbers from? Um, yeah. This is the thing I think about sex work. I, just to get very big picture with it, you know, how sex work is treated is just stupid and bad. Like from from the root of it, from mm-hmm. the root of our society, it's like a rotten yeah. root and it'll never go away. And in every society in the world, how we view it is wrong. It's misogynistic and it's harmful yeah. to the people involved in it. Like yeah. and, and everyone who, you know, and so it feels like they're already like all these arguments um against sex work and even people that like think that they understand it they're starting their knowledge base like on a root on a tree which roots are like rotten so the arguments are all like 
we're all it's such a mess but i think down you know when we just think about it in like a human level it's it's something that happens it's always going to happen the people mm-hmm. who um are involved in it whether it's the people that work in it or the people that um pa- like patronize it there's nothing morally corrupt about it if if it's done in a safe and consensual way and yeah. we have to like Really, I think the the biggest main issue of the whole issue and how messy it is is that historically, it's always the the blame is always placed on the person who's selling it because historically, exactly. that person is usually a woman, and yeah. our, all our societies are misogynistic. And yeah. I think we really have to all of us like take a second and be like, throughout since the dawn of time, we've had yeah. this mm-hmm. happening, and since the dawn of time, you've tried to say that it's all our fault. And yeah. that's fucked up. And we need to really sit down and say it's if we're if we're both participating, we're both at fault and both of us need to get, you know, if it's quote unquote so wrong, which I personally yeah. don't believe in at all. Yeah, but yeah. If you if you're saying it's wrong, we need to focus on the person that's also doing it, too. And we need to stop this like obsession with criminalizing the workers and the people that yeah. provide it. And I absolutely oh, sorry, I'm like. But like to your point, the thing about the people like trying to fight for these people that are being trafficked and stuff, it's like everyone in the world agrees that no no child should be trafficked for sex. Yes. But it's very that's very different than like what you do or like what yeah. people do on OnlyFans and stuff like that. You know? Yeah. And the the fact is that the laws that are surrounding trafficking also disproportionately affect a bunch of consensual workers as well, which is pretty frustrating. Mm. Like mm-hmm. and it's also just like So for example, fucking Instagram. I hate Instagram. I hate Instagram as a sex worker because I've had my account shut down. I couldn't even tell you how many times for like innocuous photos. And then I'll go on and then I'll see some fucking Instagram influencer or some fucking A-list celebrity with like full on nips out. And it's, it's art, you know, and I can't even show a fucking covered butt cheek because Mm -hmm. I'm a whore. And it's, um, at what point, how do you, how do you do how do you delineate what is trafficking and what is not is this person who is like an a-list celebrity absolutely just you know going to be okay even though they're showing way more skin because they're famous and then me who like i'm clearly consensual but i still i fall under different categories than this like verified influencer and Mm -hmm. of course my my shit's gonna get shut down it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. It drives me. It drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. And I wanted to say one thing about the OnlyFans and uh, versus like what you were saying about the people that don't know how harmful it is because our society is so misogynistic and anti-sex work. They enter it without knowing because the people that run OnlyFans, who are I'm I'm assuming billionaire white people because that's who owns everything, mm-hmm. are tricking them into like making content and money for them without revealing the hand of well you're gonna basically be considered a criminal yeah but we're we're not we're gonna make a bunch of money off you but we're just we're just nice like businessmen you know what i mean yeah yeah so supposedly i i'd never verified this but from what i understand the person who created OnlyFans, i think he ripped off the code from another sex worker who created like what OnlyFans is derived from and so he like actively stole it from a sex worker and then profited making billions off of sex worker dollars and then tried to kick us all off and be like, no, it's not a sex worker thing, even though he clearly stole it from a sex worker. And now that all the sex workers threatened to leave, he's like, never mind, just kidding. We're, we're staying on sex worker friendly again, but you're not allowed to mention all of these things. 
unless you're a celebrity, I guess. I don't know. You know, like those, I don't even know if I've said this on the podcast. You know, those hot springs in Japan and Sapporo? Yeah. <laughs> there's like there's like monkeys that like swim in the do you know about the monkeys yeah yeah yeah. okay so you mm-hmm. know what happened with the monkeys so there were people swimming in the natural hot springs and one monkey one day saw them i think they're like baboons i don't know what they are you know you know what i'm talking about and like and the monkey like went in the hot tub and and i'm assuming it was a it was a female monkey just saying and she was like yes this is amazing so she went back and told all the other monkeys and then like the alpha male monkey got in there and then he wouldn't let anyone in unless they were his friends that's so funny that's the o- that's the owner of only fans okay that's that's what he did no, and, and then now that you know the girls all they're like this was my hot spring yeah yeah <sighs> sorry that was weird okay. No, okay i just want to uh i don't know i might i don't know if there's time for this but i just want to tack on this other conversation point there are a lot of celebrities that come on to only fans now so i was asked on a podcast about what my take was on this about how mm. like well, celebrities are now pivoting into only fans content creators and i had like a more capitalistic approach to it and i'm certainly open to being wrong in this case i didn't really see an issue with it because i just leave it up to like free market capitalism like if there's a demand and people want to pay for it then by all means like they Mm -hmm. should have the agency to do so what is your like do you have an opinion on these like larger influencers entering the space and do you agree with me disagree like so Hmm. my issue is less based on celebrities making money on membership sites like you know by all means fucking do whatever you want with that my issue is that when celebrities go in it's going to push the sex workers out because Hmm. OnlyFans Hmm. is going to be like okay well say we're pulling in i don't know like fucking one million a day from this celebrity why the fuck should we keep on all these other people when we have the easy money that is the celebrities and i think Mm-hmm. I think that was the goal of OnlyFans to begin with, was to mm. ride on the backs of sex workers to get fame and then kick all the sex workers out so then they could have the easy money of the celebrities. And mm. this is this is how a lot of technologies and like innovations have worked in the past, where like, for example, PayPal was meant to be was originally a like um a payment avenue for online porn, I believe. Mm. And that's how it started. And now they are staunchly against adult work, like any kind Mm. of sign and they will shut you down immediately. Like they are super, super against it. Um, And companies have a habit of doing this, like technological companies specifically, where they use the hard work that sex workers have come and done and like built them up. And then they disavow us once it's convenient for them. And I just think that's not right. You know, it's like Mm. we were the reason you gained any foothold in the economy to begin with. Um, yep. mm. And so I think the presence of vanilla celebrities coming in is only an indicator that they're getting ready to push us out once they have enough clout with celebrities is how I view mm. it. And yeah. when, when you mean by pushing out, like banning explicit content and yes. then like changing the platform altogether to cater yes. to, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Cause only fans did that in October. I believe they, they okay. started, they banned, explicit content for like i want to say five days or so and everyone fucking freaked out and we're like okay we're all leaving mass exodus none of us can make money anymore and then they fucking changed their mind and they were like oh Mm. never mind we're not ready yet just kidding we're keeping explicit content um well, so, yeah, I think a yeah. lot of people. Oh, that I, that also just brings up a point. Like, I think a lot of this is like it could be like an hours long conversation. I think so many corporations and people that want to make money 
use the fake moral thing to get a leg up, like what you said, because they know that sex workers can't have legitimate businesses or whatever, right? So they will like use what they use their work and let legitimate legitimatize it in their company or whatever. You know what I mean? And I feel like yeah. that that's true for like a lot of stuff that's like viewed as, you know, criminal, I think, period, right? I see. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Yeah, well thank you. Thank you for uh elucid like clarifying and elucidating yeah. uh, those so things fascinating. for me. Because you know, I I obviously I have blind spots in my belief system and when I was asked that, I was like, yeah, it's a free market. Anyone should be yeah. able to do what they want. It's like comedians, yeah. like celebrities yeah. become comedians all the time. And I can't be upset. They have built a following. But now I see that the issue is that when the platform is built off of sex workers and then turns their back against them, yeah. then that becomes more of an issue. I think it's and, also yeah. like the issue with the free market idea is that it actively overlooks disenfranchised groups who are never going to be right. in a privileged place to profit from it to begin with, you know? So like, mm. yes. for example, us as yeah. Asians, um, like we are companies are always going to think we cater to a smaller audience than say a white blonde person. And it's not really an issue of free market. It's an issue of like biases and like Mm -hmm. oftentimes racism, you know, there's, it's never just Mm. like, Oh, the the winner wins, you know, it's it's never Mm -hmm. as easy as that. Mm -mm. It's always, there's always more issues of like, we should probably do more to help the disenfranchised groups and and equal the playing ground. So exactly. Yeah. It's like just, just a really quick thing, and then we'll, I, I'm like realizing my monkey like analogy didn't make sense. So now I gotta like fix. Now I gotta like <laughs> I gotta I gotta win back the listeners because they think I'm stupid. Um, okay, so look, the, you know, like the the recently it came out in the article showing for in Forbes the top earners for TikTok, and they're all white, and okay. it's weird because there are hmm. black creators that have similar like the second I, I believe the second most popular creator on tiktok is black the first one is that that white dancing girl i'm not gonna say i don't know her name is charlie i think and so then like these two people are like neck and neck and followers and the the black creator didn't even make it on the top 10 Mm -hmm. of the earners it's all white people it's like that okay so you're saying that i can win if i try really hard but i did win like this black creator did is neck and neck with all these other white creators but why am i not making the same money and that's that's yeah you're wrong it's not free market something fucked up happening and i mean doesn't tiktok also have a beauty algorithm that favors white faces yes so it's like even yeah. even all these other little Tech issues stuff. where it's like y- you think it you think it's free market stuff but there's all these like little other details leading up to it that prevent hmm. other people who are not the like ideal to make yeah. it. Yeah. It's all about yeah. the big monkey wow. that wants to let his monkey friends in. I'm bringing that back. I'm, gonna, I'm sticking <laughs> to my weird story that doesn't make sense, you know? <laughs> Whatever. Damn. Well, we're going to go into the second half of our uh, podcast new format and Anli, what's something that you're loving right now? Um, I am going to be a fangirl be like I'm loving the fact that I'm on this show because I feel like half of the people I went to high school with, which I went to like an 88% Asian high school, so nice. like half of them are going to 
realize that this is me. Um, oh my God. The ones who hey. did not realize that I'm a fucking sex worker now. Hello. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like stoked to be on this show because you guys are, I feel like you guys are like the Asian American celebrities. We only have so many. <gasps> wow, so really? you guys are, yeah, dude. Like, like I like know. frequently send your fucking uh, TikTok thingies to my cousins and my friends who are Asian. Oh my God, so thank you. I'm just, I'm just saying, I, also, uh, my cousins will be mad at me if I don't say hi to them here. So, like, hi, Brenda and Kami. Oh. Because uh, <laughs> we, uh, we all talk about you guys. So, Aww. this is kind of surreal. So, I'm just, like, stoked to be here. I'm, like, really happy to be here. And then outside of that, um, I'm just stoked that I have a living where I can do something I love and, like, actually be comfortable doing it and... Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of where I am today, even though I'm very concerned I'm going to get COVID tomorrow. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's something I'm proud of. On that end, what's something you're hating right now? Um, I am hating the idea of getting COVID. I'm really fixated on this idea wow. right now. It's just been like running over my head. I hate the idea of getting COVID during a pandemic. Um, and I hate the state of sex work. Um, mm-hmm. I hate the anti-trafficking groups like Polaris, what is it? Polaris and Exodus Cry are the ones that you should not listen to. Um, I hate banking companies and financial institutions and I hate, uh, yeah, I, I I'm going to have to go with those. I hate those. And I just want to clarify that we, I mean, we, obviously we hate trafficking but you just hate these certain groups because they, they don't yes. know what they're talking about and they're like messing yes. it up is what i'm yeah. assuming yeah. that you're nobody saying. nobody Obviously. wants trafficking not a single nobody. person is okay with trafficking unless you are fucking just like not okay and like so. let's be really honest even the people that do stuff like that they're like probably you know in a bad probably place. hate themselves yeah hate themselves because they were i'm not trying to say let's pity the traffickers or anything yeah. but you know what i mean Okay, yeah. great. Okay, so <laughs> listeners, this is the portion of the podcast that we hide behind a paywall at Patreon. So if you're listening to this, you can donate to hear um, on Lee's answer to the question, what is something that you're ashamed of? Well, Only, uh, before we let you go, uh, we want to ask you one last question that we like to ask all of our guests. And that is, and I know it might be caked into an earlier your answer to what you're loving, but what is something that you're proud of? Okay, so I am, I guess this is tied back in uh, to proud of um, or loving. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I have been able to do this for as long as I have and mm. um, am able to happily sustain myself doing it. Like given some years are better than others, but I'm still, I think, when I think of some of my friends who have office jobs that they like dread going to, Mm-hmm. And then I think about my job where I'm like, I get to punch this dude in the ball for three balls for like three hours straight and like listen to <laughs> yes. him cry. And it's like super fun. It's like, yes. you know, it's just it's super fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do consider myself super lucky. And it's also mm. a, a job where there aren't really directions on how you should go about doing this. So I've kind of had to like figure it out from talking to other friends and just like trying to understand how they made their careers work. And I think it took, I'm, I'm just going to pat myself on the back and say that it, it took a lot of bravery on my end mm. to kind of enter into this, not knowing how the fuck I would do it, but just trusting yeah. that like I could do it at some point. So I'm pretty proud of what I do. Yeah. 
Well, this is such an excellent conversation. This is like, I just feel like I learned so much and um, it went to places where, you know, I didn't really even anticipate and I just learned so much and I'm so proud of you and all the work that you do too. I'm so proud of this sort of representation. I feel like, you know, this sort of, um, you know, going against the grain of what people expect from Asians and doing doing well at it and having the bravery and the courage to be really true to yourself and um, do what you do and do what you want to do. And I feel like that's the Absolutely. most bravest, most respectful thing that I've ever seen in a person. So, oh, Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, just thank you again for being so vulnerable and sharing your story. And uh, I apologize. I did the annoying white guy thing of like, teach me why I'm wrong. Teach me why, why <laughs> my belief system's him. wrong. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I think he's devil's he... advocate. But I, uh, yeah, but thank you. This was a, this was a very eye-opening and illuminating conversation. And thanks for being so patient. And uh, for our listeners, where can they find you online? Um, sure. My, I don't really use Instagram anymore, but if you want to follow me and I deleted most of my photos on there because they kept on removing me. But if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's mistress dot on mistress underscore only no mr. Yeah. Mistress underscore only on Instagram on Twitter. It's daddy underscore only. Um, and my website is you're my bitch. Y O U R E M Y B I T dot C H. Yeah. Great. Nice. (laughs) How about you? Brian? Oh, we said at the same time. YM Mayor on social media, <laughs> Young Me Mayor on TikTok. Um, and check out. Oh, and what about you, Brian? Where can they find Brian? Oh, you guys can follow me online at It's Brian Park. And yeah, check out our podcast. I think that's what you're going to say next. I was. You? Yeah. Our podcast <laughs> is Feeling Asian podcast everywhere. We have a YouTube channel, the same name. And just a quick reminder, if you like the podcast and you're looking for ways to support us, you can do so at Patreon at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. Young me and I, we offer different subscription tiers with different benefits. Go check it out. But any donation amount gets you a shout out on the podcast. And let's do some shout outs for this week. So first up, we have Kevin Schweitzer. Kevin, you are Hapa. You're a skater. My and you have buzz head, pink dyed hair. And the real ones know that Evan Mock actually copied your style. So kudos to you for being a true OG. Next shout out goes out to Mer- Marie Billiel. Marie, you run marathons and don't tell anyone about it. Next shout out goes out to Jade Hidley. Jade, I feel like you have your shit together. You compost. You own a Chemex. You have a diverse stock portfolio. You volunteer on the weekend. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that you are the child my parents wished I had become. So, kudos to you for just for just being a great person overall. Uh, next shout-out goes out to Denise Warzak. Denise, you call things for what they are. You're a straight shooter. You're incredibly funny, but people who don't know you are intimidated by you, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing, but uh, that's that's my assessment. That's my guess, my psychic guess for you. And our last shout out for this episode goes out to Eileen Pan. Eileen, I am going to guess that you live in San Francisco and you are a software engineer. Now, it's nothing personal. It's This is just purely a statistics thing. I haven't guessed that someone is a software engineer in a while, and you're it. So, uh, 
you know, hopefully the company you work for was IPO'd and you are a multi, multi, multi millionaire. So congratulations. And thank you for supporting the podcast. And once again, thank you to all of our supporters. And if you'd like to do so, you could do so at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. Leave us a review if you like our podcast and check out our Patreon for weekly bonus episodes um, and to hear what An Lee said she was ashamed of. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye.